Hello and welcome to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia. My guest is James King, physio, gym owner and personal trainer. Mainstream gyms can often be intimidating places for men and women. Free weight sections can feel like areas dominated by big dudes throwing large weights around angrily. Sweat Society, the gym James and partner Georgia co-own and run, is different. Members are empowered. They don't feel intimidated or overwhelmed. They're part of a community. James found fitness at a young age and it became a source of strength when school was overwhelming. He had something to focus on, to push himself with. I've always been inspired by his attitude to problem solving. Why can't I do that? Why couldn't I do what you're doing? He always strives to give his best. He's someone with clear objectives and an unshakable will to get them done. As always, this is a podcast to support the brilliant work of the Dyslexia Foundation. Their mission is to unlock the full potential of children and adults with dyslexia so that they can succeed and contribute fully to society. They do incredible work. They test any adult off the street and teach them to read for free. Everything is free at the point of use. All right, James, welcome. Thank you. How are you, mate? Very good. You? Good. Good, yeah, I must be, must be quite good. Good. So I'm going to jump straight in with um, how did you find fitness? Fitness. To be honest with you, it would probably be through sort of football, socially, mm-hmm. um, the sort of sport aspect of it, um, playing football with friends. Um, always a bit chunkier as a kid, I like to say. Um, yeah, enjoyed your food. Exactly that. Um, enjoyed my food. So I think when I was trying to take it a bit more seriously, I was obviously bigger and I wanted to be quicker, fitter. So my dad took me um, to a fitness sort of running club in Kingstonian. So they used to do um, running training, etc. cetera. Um, and then ever since then, I was literally, I was away. I just loved it. They didn't just do laps. They'd done sort of um, football-specific mm. drill work. Um, and I was only young, 12. Um, didn't want to do it, hated it. I remember in my dad's van every time, it was Monday, Wednesday, um, every time, near enough in tears. Um, but as I got confident, it was easier. I remember one week we didn't realise it had been called off. My dad said, go on. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you've got to run home. That's your, that's your training. <laughs> and I got to that level where I was confident. I was like, all right. From Kingstonian to Sutton, he said, go on. Thinking at the time he'd just gone home, but obviously he was following me yeah. slowly, working working <laughs> down the quieter roads, watching me. But yeah, he, he made me run home. So just confidence grew with that. And then obviously as I got a bit older, weightlifting um, with friends socially, mm. five o'clock every day, Monday to Friday. Didn't have to even text anyone back then. It was, everyone would be there. Yeah. Six of us yeah. split off into little groups and just, yeah, just work out. So when you joined that, the running club, did that provide you with a process you know, so now, obviously, uh, the drills that you might develop in the gym with clients and what have you, that did that then give you a sort of um, a craft, a way of breaking it down, a way of looking at fitness that was uh, it was different as opposed to it just being, you know, physical exertion? Definitely, yeah. The lady, Jenny, who took it, um, she's quite renowned and known in the sort of industry, football and wheelchair um, racing. She, she did, she 
Well, we used to do four laps and six laps warm up around the track. And for right. me at the time, when I was a bit bigger, a little bit younger, I was like, that is a workout. That yeah. is like, and that for me, when I got used to that, I was like, okay. And I'm, I feel myself, I was going through them sort of steps that our clients now go through. They come into the studio. They, yes. We're doing this sort of intense workout and they're looking around and everyone else is sort of keeping up and they're there. And I always think back to that, like looking at the older kids, they're just, they're sort of doing these laps like for a warm up. And that's me at the end thinking, yeah. I can't do anymore. That's like, that's, that's me done, 10 minutes done. Um, sort of seeing that journey. But yeah, she broke it down. We've done the warm up, we've done drills, we've done um, specific drills for football, but then we also done other stuff, um, which kept it exciting. Um, she always, and we always had a goal, the end of it was to be fitter and to be more prepared for football. So yeah, in that respect, we did, it did break it down for me quite nicely. Mm. Well, there's there's a creativity there, which I feel you bring into your training, the, the workouts you do with clients or the way you structure a class. Inherently, there's imagination, there's creativity. Uh, so that was that the point? Is that the sort of main source of inspiration for the way you perceive and look at fitness? Probably the start of it, yeah, I would say. I only recently, when obviously we've been doing the Zoom classes, I've never thought of just doing exercises back to back for a set time. Like how you, like now you see on Instagram, you look at people's workouts and you think, mm, yeah, that's, that's good. But like the same exercise I would use, but yeah. just right, 20 seconds there, right next, 20 seconds. And I've, and I've actually recently been doing that in my classes and thinking, why have I never done that before? Why have I not just structured it as, right, we're doing 20 seconds of that, straight into that. But me, I always have to do like a ladder, you probably know, yes. or do some sort of different spin on it. I don't know why. And yeah, we'll probably come to that um, way of my thinking or dyslexia when you've got that. Um, yeah. And only recently, very recently, I've been doing it, what, since I was 19 fitness. I'm 30 now. Um, only recently just using that format of very simple because you do run out of ways of structuring a class. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. Mm. So when was that click for you? There's, I mean, we often talk about this in the fitness industry. There's there's three stages of, of being um, up for fitness. And the, the first and second ones, you know, when you were 11, 12, you know, you, you're almost weeping on the way to a workout. But Literally, by the time yeah. you make it into that third stage, you know, it's just habit. It's all you want to do. It's, it's like brushing your teeth. You, you get up, you go for a run, or you go to the gym. Yeah. Was it during that running school that, that click came for you that like, right, that's it, I'm just here, as you say, Monday to Friday, I'm working out 5pm with the lads? I would say it was, yeah, younger. So when I was at the fitness, because for me, I want to be the best at everything. Mm. I, that is what I want to, I don't care what it is, I want to be the best at it. Um, and I could, you could slowly start to see my football was improving because I was fitter. Yes. Then people started commenting like, how much you improved, you, you don't stop running, etc. Yeah. Then, yeah, just this a confidence thing. And with the boys at the gym, that was just, again, you want to be the strongest. Yeah. You're probably <laughs> very stupid with 16, 17, like doing silly things. Like I would obviously, <laughs> I would probably wince at right now if I saw someone or the boys in the gym doing it. But yeah, you're young, you just want to be the strongest and lift the heaviest. So you always, yeah, there's always that element to it, I think. I always want to be the best, I think. And was fitness a um, reprieve from school? You know, I often found with acting, the struggles I had in maths or whatever, mm. I, they were an antidote. When I found the thing that I really wanted to pursue, it made 
the slightly more challenging parts of schooling a lot easier. So was, was fitness that for you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would say definitely the sports side. Mm. Definitely that you, all right, you're not doing as well in the classes, but you know the PE teachers and you know the teachers that are involved more in the sport. They've got a bit more, not respect, but they, they see you as that football player, the, the captain of the school team. You are, yes. I know it's a bit cliche and like American sort of, <laughs> yeah, I'm cap, but you do, you do sort of find that little sort of bond with the teachers then. Like I, I couldn't get on with my English teacher because yeah. I wasn't any good at English. Yes. I thought I was failing, I was struggling. I couldn't read properly. I was behind and all them sort of things that we know, dyslexia, what comes with dyslexia. But when I was out on the field, even if it was playing rounders, I knew that that, that PE teacher had a bit of sort of respect for me because I was yes. good at that. Yes. So for me, it was like that little bit of a link with the teacher rather than, because look, we all know dyslexia, you kept, you, you fall behind with your reading, your writing, etc. But never really bothered me. Yeah. Never really bothered me at school. Knew, knew I was dyslexic. We all knew I was dyslexic. Um, my sister is. Never bothered getting tested for it um, early days. Just yeah. obviously knew I was doing the extra classes or the before school for my reading, my writing, my spelling. Um, but never bothered me at all. Not in the slightest. Couldn't care less what other people said. It was... It was never a big thing for me because I had sport. I had yeah. that outlet, yeah. like you're saying it. So I was good at that. So, all right, if I had to sacrifice my English, at the time, that was how I was thinking. Yeah. I'd rather be good at football or good at rugby <laughs> than yeah. be good at spelling. Obviously, completely different now. But when I was younger, that was how I was thinking. That was yeah. my thought pattern. Did you act out in, in classes or...? Um, do you know what? <laughs> Probably I was quite a good... Quite a good student, I'll say, back in school. My sister was like a rebel. She's got dyslexia quite... Well, yeah, she's definitely got dyslexia, but yeah. she was the one that acted out. And, and I was listening to because your, of her dyslexia? Yeah, 100%. And yeah. I saw that and saw what it done to my mum and dad. Right. And the sort of, um, not torment, but I saw that and she was quite bad. So I just kept myself to myself, sort of just had that focus of football, um, of sport, of running, of this sort of other fitness side of it. So... Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'd acted out. All right, there was times where I probably was frustrated yeah. at school. Um, but yeah, not like her. So I was actually pretty good in that sense, I yeah, think. Well, I mean, obviously, you're incredibly fortunate to have found that thing mm. that you could find a bit of solace in. And, and you know, you obviously were had a, a talent for. And that's, you know, that, that is, I, I do count myself very lucky that, I have found that thing as well. Because mm. equally the same as you, when I was in maths and, and hating every minute of it, I was like, this doesn't matter. I don't need grades. I don't need maths grades to get into drama school. Yeah. Which, in a sense, I wish I'd invested more time and effort because I think I could have passed the exams with a higher grade if I'd tried a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Yeah that's, yeah, that's exactly it. You feel like you've got that cushion because you've got something else. But yeah, I think my sister struggled because she didn't have something else. So that's where I think, obviously coming into this podcast, just thinking back on how it was and, that, and obviously listening to your previous podcast, acting out or sort of, yeah. but that's where I think my sister struggled. She didn't have anything else. Yeah, I had a little bit of a focus and yeah. that was where I was going. So yeah, I could definitely see that. That's the thing. You encourage any young person, regardless of whether they have dyslexic or not, to find that thing, the thing which, which they love, the thing that they love doing and the thing they want to be the best at. Yeah. Because ultimately that helps themselves and other people. 
without a doubt. So what I find, of course, we deal in, in failure in different terms within fitness. We use going to failure, you know, exerting a muscle as a tool to, to build muscle. Of course, this, this podcast is called Words Fail Me. Mm-hmm. And it's about successful people having a relationship not only to their successes, but to failure as well. Yeah. And how much of a teacher that is. So what uh, would the sort of most useful failures for you in your life? Most useful failures? Well, obviously I've done my undergrad sports therapy, done my master's physiotherapy. Right. But I remember that sort of stage from undergrad trying to get onto a master's. Um, I remember going for an interview at St. George's and they're known for having the best sort of academic sort of people and students there. Right. Like, And as a physio, yes, you need that. But actually it's more sort of how you can speak to someone and how you are with a patient. But they just take yeah, into account um, how sort of academic you are. So went into the interview, there's three of them sitting, there's like a panel. And already I'm like anxious. I'm like, this is, this is not going to go well. They're going to ask me questions. I'm not going to understand some words. They're going to ask me to write stuff. I'm going to be rubbish. You have all these doubts, all these doubts. And yeah, it come out, it was a, it was horrible. <laughs> I, I didn't get into the, into the, onto the Masters. Um, there was a question right at the end, which I thought I'd done a right win because they give you a paragraph. Um, they ask you, what was it? I mean, funny enough, this was obviously a, a long time ago, but it's a pandemic. Um, you've got a cure for one for one person, but you've got two people you're looking after. Right. You've got an 86-year-old um, war veteran. Right. You've got a 25-year-old pregnant lady. Who are you going to give it to? So you sit there, you read it for three, four minutes, and you're like, right. And like, as I, th- I think I can like, think outside the box, I'm like, right, got a good answer. So I just spit out this answer. And they, they do say, look, we don't really want you to say who you're going to give it to. We want your thought process and all this. So in my head, I'm like, right, I'm going to break it down. Give them this like, long answer, really confident with, um, and then just shut me down. <laughs> After it, they was like, well, wouldn't do that. And I'm just like, all oh, right. So it was a bit like frustrating. So I, I, they obviously wanted to tick some boxes, which yes. I did not tick one, I don't think, with that answer. <laughs> yeah. But in my head, I'm thinking, that is the best answer they're going to get all day. Yeah. But obviously at the end, it was like, <laughs> oh, maybe it's not. And then thinking back of my answer right now, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I did think too outside the box, um, not meaning to. But yeah, that was a big failure for me. So I, I, St. George's would have been perfect living in Sutton, going to Tooting, didn't have to commute too far. Yeah. But on the flip side to that, I went down to Brighton. Um, the head lady there went into her office. She's like, James, talk to me. Literally, that was her first talk to me. Yeah. And that straight away, I was like, ooh. Yeah. And I just like chatting away to her. Like I was, I stayed at my own window cleaning business up at the time, so I was chatting away to her about that. She's like, oh, yeah, James, like, she like, tell me why physio. And I was like, oh, yeah, obviously got into that. And then she's like, James, I really like you. Um, it was literally over in about six, seven minutes. Went out and like a week later got the email saying, congratulations. And yeah. I was like, the, the sort of two parallels there. And I was like, that is my sort of university, yes. like, without a doubt. That's, that's where I need to be. She was quite, um, she was a really cool lady, actually. Yeah. Well, she sounds very intuitive about people as well. She's, she understands implicitly that you're going to get the best out of somebody when they feel relaxed. She was the one that actually made me go for the dyslexia test. Wow. Yeah. Big. She's got a big role to sort of play in everything with in my education. Yeah. Um, she, yeah, she, she was a big role. She was good. She actually, she brought, 
she brought the um, problem-based learning to Brighton Uni for that course. So her whole thing was PBL, they call it problem-based learning. Right. You wouldn't read books, you wouldn't do so many lectures, you would actually sit in a group and you'd all have jobs, you'd all have roles and you'd also you'd all sort of take sort of um, ownership of the task in hand. Love that. So yeah, that, for me, it was like a, so much easier than my undergrad mm. in a weird way the way we learn. So I'm sitting there thinking, this is a master's and I'm I'm, lo- I'm loving it. Yeah. Everyone's telling me you can't do it. It's going to be, it's going to be too tough. Are you sure you want to commit two years? And yeah. And I'm sitting there in this first sort of PBL introduction. I'm thinking, God, this is, this is like designed for me. Yeah. Essentially, that's what I felt at the time. Yeah. Yes, it was very tough in here. Don't get me wrong. It was horrendous. But at that time, I was like, this is, this is brilliant. Yeah. That's wonderful. I mean, that sounds very much like the model they, Employ in Finland with kids. She, she was from Finland. There we go. See, there there go. we go. Yeah. Well, they do that uh, from primary school age. So you don't have subjects, maths, English, whatever. Yeah. You just have a problem that the whole class has to yeah. do. And what I feel that gives you a sense of is that collectively, I might have a strength that you don't. I'm going to bring it to bear on this problem. Maths might not be my strong suit, but might be maybe it's yours. And together we can we can understand how we break this down. That was 100% what it was all about. And that is why it worked so well. And don't get me wrong, I could see people, like they, there were some top, top sort of students there, like clever, clever, clever people. Yeah. Um, but they were struggling. One of them, really? didn't, one of them he'd come over from Canada, um, he didn't make it as two years. But if you talk to him as a person and he could, he could recite anything, he could tell you, I think he even went down to like sort of micro level he could he was a really intelligent man but just couldn't make it for the course because of the practicals because you had to walk into a room and talk to someone and take them through a an assessment right he couldn't he couldn't get his head around that and then the pbl side of it he would sit there and sort of block everyone out he'd yeah. want to just go and do his, his work thing. and uh, uh, in a weird way it's probably like a flip reverse of what i was like at school yes so i'm at school they're trying to teach me this way and i'm I'm all over the place. And then you come to this master's degree and it's like, huh? Yeah. This is, this is actually quite nice to learn like this. But yeah, I think there's, with dyslexia, everyone works differently. So it, it, was, it was a nice experience, I would say. Yeah. I mean, well, that occurs to me that everyone works differently. I mean, they, I've talked about this a lot on the pod, but there are apparently seven different types of intelligences. And it feels like that form of learning was what worked for your form of intelligence. Mm. And this this dude from Canada, he just wanted, clearly he's very much um, someone who gets a lot of strength from being by himself and doing his own research yeah. and working by himself and working within a group sent him under a little yeah. bit. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. Well, that's, I mean, clearly, I say clearly, but in what do I know, I'm an actor, but um, <laughs> it feels like the sooner we can come to a better understanding about the various types of learning and how people learn, the more effective education will be. And I, I do feel, and I've felt for a long time, that the, the system we have now, which was developed 160 odd years ago, it's not working for some people. You see, like your sister, for example, I'm sure there's something that um, if she was exposed to it, she might have found it early and, and found the thing. Mm. Obviously, sport is very ubiquitous for British people because we love sport, we yeah. love moving. Whereas there might be something else that she wasn't exposed to and in a different... It goes back to that idea of like what education is for. Is it for passing exams or is it a little bit about helping to find out the person you are 
so you can pursue that thing. You obviously, I'm sure in PE, exposed to rugby and football and, and that then helped you eventually get to where you yeah. needed to be. Definitely. Without a doubt. Yeah. So how much of that, that sort of creativity and that sort of collective um, way of attacking a problem do you bring into, you know, business, entrepreneurialism, um, designing workouts? Yeah, massive. I think I, look, ever since I was, well, I sort of got dragged through the, edu- I say dragged through the education system because yeah. it literally, if I tell yeah, you a yeah, story, yeah. it was, I was dragged through each stage of it. Um, but originally, as a young kid, I was, all I was going to do is go to school, leave school at 16, work for my dad or go and work for myself. That was my goal. That was my aim. And obviously try and play. I was playing semi-pro football, but the main aim was to work for myself. Um, and now I've got this business website with Georgia. It's like every day we just think of new things and we're trying to trying to keep on top of things. Obviously the pandemic's like murder. It's just horrible um, to try and keep a business afloat in these times. But yeah. We are adapting, and for me, it's challenging. Like I'm, I'm a bit, I'm in a bit of a slump at the minute. I'm a bit demotivated, I would say. Uh, mm. For me, my standards. Um, obviously, love getting up at silly o'clock in the morning, getting everything done. At the minute, I'm trying to find my way back into that routine, but always on the lookout for doing new things. Like we've been, me and you, are going to be chatting later about some stuff we want to bring to Sweat Society, and we've got Sweat on Demand, sort of the online platform. So we want to. We want to just keep expanding as we can. But thinking, I don't know, my thought process with it is always a bit different to George's. And that's why I think it works so well. Mm. I will think of these silly things, crazy things, sometimes work, sometimes don't. And then she'll be the one to maybe pull me in or sort of... The voice of reason. Exactly that. And if I didn't have that, let's have it right, we would be, um, we'd all be doing weird and wonderful things at the studio, which probably wouldn't <laughs> would be the best thing. But yeah. No, definitely. Well, what I love about what you both do is you try and encourage a sense of community. So Sweat uh, Society is in Surbiton and the members absolutely feel like a community, more than, you know, like, I won't name names, but mainstream gyms, which can sometimes feel a bit corporate, a bit clinical, um, a bit soulless. There's soul to Sweat. And I think that's why it's such a success among the community of Mm. people who, who use it all the time. Was that at the forefront of your thinking or is this just you know an expression of your identities do you know what from as a PT sort of my clientele right at the beginning I set up my own little studio um, like PT gym and all I was getting clients wise not not deliberately all I was getting was ladies women girls um, hardly any men and yeah. like when you dig deeper into why they want a PT in a private gym yeah and every single one of them would say, I'm intimidated to go into a gym. Yeah. Um, I don't like I don't like other people watching me, mostly men watching me work out. Yeah. I don't I, they felt they were judged. And for me, for me, just built up over the years, like, well, we need a place where these ladies, obviously men as well, but we need a place where they can come and actually think, no one's looking at me. We're all doing the same thing, we're all just having a laugh. No one actually cares. Mm. As long as we're safe, as in doing the exercises, then that, that is what we wanted to create. And that's always been at the forefront of, for me. Because um, I know how a gym is. I've been to loads of gyms. Like Even me looking at my best, 
feeling I'm looking good, strong. I walk into a gym sometimes and think, okay, and there's like big, huge men like look yeah. at, and it is intimidating without a doubt. Mm. It doesn't matter how much of a front you put on, like you walk in and you're like, all oh, right, okay. Let alone a lady um, who hasn't been to a gym before and doesn't know necessarily what she's doing. Um, I don't blame them for never wanting to go into a gym like that. So that's for us what we wanted to create there, 100%, always at the forefront, a community, um, somewhere where you don't have to just go to the gym. You can come and have a chat. You can. I've just been writing programs for, for all the clients just because they sort of want a little bit of a, a different view on, on working out. And we've got a Facebook group. We've got Everyone's got my number. Mm. I think that's a different. Some people say you're absolutely crazy for doing that having a direct link to your members on WhatsApp. or But for me, that is part of it. Any one of our clients can text me, can text Georgia, right, I'm struggling. What what, what can I do here? Food, nutrition, we, we've got the right people. We've got people like you in regards to nutrition. We've got Jess, we've got everyone. We've got Rachel, we've got loads of different instructors that we can just refer into if we need to and just sort of help, help everyone. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it is a big thing for me, community, definitely. Well, the overriding characteristic is approachability. Mm. And you've said that. You're the owner of the gym, yeah. uh, co-owner of the gym, um, one of the chief schemers, and you're also approachable. Members can talk to you. you they've got your number. And crucially, I mean, let's have it right. It's, it's not that sweat um, feels overtly feminine. It's, it's approachable. You know, it's not gender specific, but it's absolutely a place where women can come and feel empowered and they feel like they can get a hard workout in and they're not going to be looked at, they're not going to be judged. And it's a real sorry state of the culture that, you know, women do feel intimidated by free weight sections of gyms Mm -hmm. and they feel like they can't go in and they feel like they're going to be dominated by lads who are probably on steroids and overusing the squat rack and and have got a towel over 17 different pieces of equipment. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. That is typical, yeah. But the the reality is there there are so many... uh, professional women or non-professional women who want to work out, they need to work out for their own mental and physical well-being and the fitness industry just wasn't doing enough for them. And I think just, just by simply being approachable and, and open and, and willing to encourage a community, that's why Sweat is a, yeah. a success. I think you're right. So obviously in this time, there's a, there's a fitness but there's also a mental health crisis going on with people not being able to be as active as, as usual. And I'm sure we can talk all day about the benefits of, of moving your body. Um, what are the things you'd encourage people to do? At the, at the very least, just to keep themselves topped up mentally, physically. Let's just literally get out of the house. I've, I've been there. I've been either in this office or I've been at home. And you're just you're sitting there working, 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 not really thinking of much. And then by that time, I, I feel like I get cabin fever. So I have to go, even if it's yeah. the, the brain's coming down, I need to get out of the house. Um, it's got to be part of my routines, getting out, walking, running. I'm not a big runner now um, at the minute, but walking for me, we've got the Strava challenge right now. We're trying to get as many kilometres as a team, the whole of sweat. Um, so that's been a massive thing for me, just getting out and walking, even though it's not actually working my Strava, but that's a... That's another subject. But yeah, just look, even when I do class online, they do a half hour intense workout with me. But my advice at the end is always, right, make sure you get yourself out now. Because yeah. all my clients, all my PT one-to-one clients, they've texted me in some sort of way over, whether it's the first lockdown, second lockdown, they've all reached out to me in some sort of way for advice on 
not necessarily giving mental health the, the label, but they are struggling. As yes. in, we all know what struggling means when they're at home, one bed flat, not got the room, not allowed out, scared to go out, especially right at the beginning. I had a lot of sort of guys that they didn't want to go to a supermarket. They were they were scared because a lot of a lot of scary stuff out there at the time. Um, yeah, so yeah, all I just want to get out, walk. Yeah, exactly that. So yeah, and obviously working on the intensive care unit on the first lockdown, I think a lot of people could come to me and talk to me and ask me questions about a lot of what well, the main question was: Is it as bad as they say? And obviously you get that a lot, but. Yeah, it is bad when you get it. So yeah, stay safe, get out, be sort of be active because to fight COVID, we need to be we need to be fit and healthy. Mm. So that is one way to do it. Well, let's delve into that. So the context, James, um, in the first lockdown uh, was as his role as physio for the NHS uh, was uh, working in intensive care. Um, so what was that like? <laughs> that was. Um, very different experience. Yeah, it was it was horrific. To be honest, that's the word I, I say a lot to people. Horrific. Not that I talk about it much to anyone, but it was the most horrific experience I probably will ever go through. Um, but yeah, I hope I done my bit. To be fair, it was all like the timings were all. I've always been working at NHS since my masters because they paid for the degree. Oh, so you right. not you don't. There's no legal contract, but you feel obliged and. I worked there for four, four, five years. Um, still with the studio as well at points to get the mortgage sorted, everything like that. So I felt I had a duty of care and a duty to the NHS. So, yeah. but then it all my department shut down and opened up as intensive care. So like they give you the option, right? You can either be deployed to community or you can be on intensive care. And obviously, every all my family friends like don't do it, like because it's like early days. I was like, what do you mean don't do it? I've got ladies of physios. They're 50, 55 with kids, they're going to work, they're more at risk than me. Yeah. I need to take control of this and I need to be there. And yeah, I moved out into the studio, funny enough, um, to sort of protect everyone I was with. Um, and yeah, just got called up and I had to do a load of stuff that I've never done before. Um, yeah, it was it was hard. It was very hard. Yeah, but you also, you also raised some funds as well, didn't you? Pay for a, a bed. Yeah, so this is, like, this is typical me, like we... Um, there was a bed on intensive care, this, this eight grand bed everyone talked about. It made everyone's life easier. And I was like, well, why don't we get more then? And the consultant's like, well, what do you mean more? This is 8,000 pounds worth. I said, yeah, like, we can we can get that together, surely. Mm. And they're all like, looking at me like I'm mad. Yeah. I said, like, I'm telling you now, I'm going to get another one of these beds. If it makes everyone's life easier, especially mine, I'm, I'm going to do it. So obviously went to the sweat community, the sweat site a lot, and... We raised load of, we raised over eight grand, um, got a bed and some, um, even negotiated with the guys um, that sold the beds to try and get a better price. I don't think that's ever been done by a physio. Um, <laughs> yeah, for the agent, direct to an agent. But I thought, you know what, we're, we're, we're doing it. We've got pandemic on our hands. We're, we want a few thousand pounds off, please. Um, and yeah, we, we got another one. I was pushing for another one and why not? But then I think... Because of the the space and what we had, I couldn't we couldn't get another one. But we got we got two there, and we still got a few thousand pound left for the, for the NHS actually. But they're deciding what they want to do with that. Well, for me, that that is often a feature of dyslexics is is creative thinking. Mm. So there's you going. Why not? Why why couldn't we raise money? Yeah, for the NHS. That's that was my my exact thought. Like I was looking at him again. 
Why? Why? You've just admitted to everyone in our meeting, this makes life so much easier. Yeah. This is better for the patients. We're getting them out of bed in a sitting position for their chest. We can't do that otherwise without a hoist with four or five people, with all the everything that's going on in on the sort of um, ventilators. It's not really safe to do that. So these beds are like this magical um, equipment. And I was like, well, let's, let's get another one. And that was it. In my head, I'm like, simple. We've got to raise eight grand and we're going to get another bed. Simple, yeah. we raise another eight grand and we get another bed. Yeah. That's three people at a time sitting out in a chair yeah. that, if not, are lying there on their backs. We prone them most of the time as well. But again, yeah, it was just, for me, it was simple. Raise eight grand, help a patient. Yeah. Well, that, for me, that's often what I think about the way you think about things, regardless of what it is, is why not? Why not? Why can't mm. we, you know, potentially get the whole floor above the gym and turn that into a gym? Why can't we do this in a workout? Mm. Is that something you've noticed about your thought process versus other people who might not be dyslexic? 100%. Mm. 100%. I remember one of the biggest things that the lecturers at the Masters said, like at the introduction, like you can't have a job with this Masters. This is full time. And I'm sitting again. Well, I'm not going to be sitting at a computer for 24 hours. There is going to be time where I need to relax or I can be doing something with my time. Yeah. Why can't that be work? Yeah. So I had a window cleaning business and I took that over or down to Eastbourne. And by the, t by the, end, of the, by the end of the first year, I was cleaning all my lecturer's windows. <laughs> all the ones that have told me, you can't have another job with this, Masters. Yeah. And I'm there <laughs> cleaning all their windows, like seeing all their houses, and they're all sort of like loving it. And I'm like... like why, why, why all this dramatic no work, no work? I get it. They're trying to push you into this is going to be tough. Yeah, it's going to be tough. But actually, don't. I, so I shouldn't really say this, but if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to go and do it. Yeah. And that for me is like a smug little. I'm cleaning your windows. You're paying me, and you told me or told us about eight times in the introduction. You cannot have a job. No yeah. one can work. It's full time. Yeah. And I'm sitting there, sort of working. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I always think that way. Why not? Why not? Why not? Like we're paying at the sweat on demand. We've paid. We get like various people filming for us, and I'm I'm always looking at people and their jobs, and I'm thinking, why can't I do that? Yeah. Right, they've got a fancy equipment, but why can't I buy that equipment? Yeah. So now we're now filming our own sweat on demand. So yeah. I'm saving a thousand, what eight hundred thousand pound a time. Yeah. And like it's all coming together, and we're like, I'm, me and George are like. All right. Like at the beginning, we were like mad. Like, why? You can't film your own stuff and you can't edit your own stuff. And I've just been on my laptop working away and just, just doing it. Yeah. And just, it's coming out okay. It's all right. It's probably not as good technically as the ones before, but I mean, we're working out to it. It's... Well, that's the thing. I mean, how do those people who you're paying that money to, how did they develop the skills? Well, they did it. That's, that's... It might have been rough to begin with, yeah. but they, with repetition and yeah. with seeing what worked and what didn't and how you can improve. Mm you might well get, get to where you want to be. I think so, yeah. So the why not also features into workarounds, right? So if you feel like you can't do something as a dyslexic, you know, you think to yourself, okay, why not? I've, I've got to get to where other people are in school. You know, how is how is so-and-so smarter than me in this when I'm, I'm clearly better than them in this? So are there workarounds that you utilise, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, writing notes or using a computer, little uh, techniques that you've used to um, get to where you need to be um, 
to try and bypass your dyslexia? So I'll probably say if you look at my notepads at uni, mm. pictures everywhere. Yeah, pictures, okay, visual. visual, everything visual for me. Like I think it was the time where YouTube was like there was everyone's using YouTube like an educational tool. So I had a lot of um, people I followed on YouTube subscribed to. They were teaching about the body, but they had a physical person there. They was talking through the knee, the shoulder, and then um, animation. So for me, just visual was the biggest thing. If I sat in a lecture, a lecture, and I could, I just couldn't. I couldn't take much in without drawing or going home and watching a video about it. So for me, yeah, biggest biggest thing was visual. Like my go-to, if I was struggling with anything, I would be visualising or watching a video or drawing or sort of making making it sort of that way rather than writing. Because yeah, repetition for me is a big thing, but yeah. repetition writing, I just it couldn't, it doesn't stick. But if you told me the best best things to do in acting, yeah. If you told if you said me and you had a conversation, you said, right, the best things you could do in acting was this, this, this. I could quite easily. We everyone calls me like the blagger. I could quite easily then go into a room, <laughs> five hundred people, and then be you and sell it. Right. No, I'm yeah. not an actor, but you yeah. just give me all that information I need, and I will just relay that as I am the actor. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone's... What is that? Is, is that you looking at me visually, and you're sort of mimicking? Probably, yeah. Yeah. yeah, probably just sort of watching what how you're saying things and then I'll take that into my own little and I'll off I go. But yeah, I think blagging, that's my coping mechanism. I just blag my way through. I so blag blagging is a workaround. Blagging for me is the best workaround ever. What, what I think there's a thing at the minute, like quite a recent thing everyone's talking about. Um fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make I'm it. not read into any of that, but I mean seeing that, that's exactly what it is. I assume black. You're blagging. You're blagging until you actually get to a place where you're comfortable um, of sort of doing it. So, I think blagging is the, the way forward. What's the future, or what do you want the future to look like? What do you envisage the future for Sweat? For Sweat, we're um, without revealing secrets. Obviously, yeah. I mean, I know, you know there's master plans to work. <laughs> of course, here, but, you know, I don't want anyone stealing ideas. No, look, everyone knows that we're trying to we're trying to get upstairs and expand we're also there's a little bit of a in the pipeline we're trying to get different sites to sort of run different elements of fitness so yeah look out for that that would be interesting if we can if we can go ahead with that um but we just want to make a bigger community in Surbiton that's all we want to do we want to what we got a minute is unbelievable our members right now I can't can't even explain how Good they have been to us as a business supporting us through yeah. this horrible time. Yeah. Um, and just the lovely emails we get regularly just to say, look, thank you for helping us. And, and it's the other way around. They they just helped me in Georgia. And obviously all the teachers and instructors, like everyone knows they're the backbone, without a doubt. Um, but yeah, the, the community we've got, we just want to expand on that, make that bigger, better. And don't lose that, don't lose that that side of it. I could quite easily, not quite easily, but you could quite easily expand a business, scale it up, but lose that sort of personal touch that you have with clients. Yeah, the community. Yeah. So we, we're quite a small studio, I would say, but when we expand, it's going to get a lot bigger. So you, you've always got to be conscious of that, not trying to go too big. Obviously, I want it bigger because that means more success, but um, you don't want to lose that community sort of feel. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, you don't want to compromise the essence of the place. That's it. That is it. 
That's the perfect note to end on, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, sir. It's been great. Cheers, dude. You've been listening to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia, with me, Jude Mount McGowan. My guest today was James King, the owner of Sweat Society. This podcast was funded by the National Lottery Community Fund. There are more conversations in this series. Just search Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia, and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. And if you want to support the charity or access its many services, go to dyslexia-help.org. And if you really enjoyed the podcast, please go, rate, subscribe, and leave us a little review. Thank you.